If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 10, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. Father, I pray that, that right now with everything going on, that we can clear our minds of distraction, that we can hear from you about what it means to be a good neighbor, about our desperate need for your son. I pray that you move. I pray that you convict. I pray that we see your glory in this text. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, in your Bibles, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? All right, so everybody's hanging out. Here's Jesus. A guy stands up, a lawyer, putting Jesus to the test. What do I have to do to be saved? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. All right, so if you ever want to earn salvation, that's what you have to do. Love God with everything you got. Love your neighbor as yourself. All right? Verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, which is two days' wages, and he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him Mercy, And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. All right, this is probably one of the most famous stories Jesus ever told. This and the prodigal son. Most people have heard the parable of the good Samaritan. As a matter of fact, uh, Barry Manilow, if you guys know him, wrote a jingle in 1971 for $500. Like a good neighbor. State Farm is there. And then you saw some cool commercials. Right? There was one where the car was getting attacked by buffaloes and they say the jingle and the agent would show up or they're in the room and a baseball comes through and eventually the guy asked for, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there with a hot tub. Right? And everything's adding. But I love the question it asks, like a good neighbor, what is a good neighbor? Right? So the lawyer had an idea of what a good neighbor looked like. And I was trying to think in my past, in, in my history, have I had good neighbors? And then I started to think, have I been a good neighbor? So let me let's let you in on a couple of, of our neighbor. Growing up, um, we had a neighbor two doors down. He was a lawyer. He was actually in the middle of a lawsuit. He drove a nice convertible, had a neck brace on, had pink flamingos in his front yard, which I always thought was strange. Why would you have pink flamingos in your yard in Kentucky? Right? This is not the, the state bird or anything like that. We don't have any around. But he had pink flamingos in his yard, and, and the dude was just a little different. And so I'm out in my front yard shooting basketball, and I brick one, and it starts to roll, and I see the convertible rolling down. 
And now listen, those of you guys that know me know that I'm not fast. Right? So I start taking off after this ball, and then I start thinking, I'm going to get hit by this car. I stop at the edge of the driveway. Ball keeps going. My man ramps my basketball with his convertible neck brace on. I see him. I'm like, oh, he's going to pop my basketball. That was my worry, concern at the moment. The car bounces off the ground, up and over my basketball. The back wheels hit the basketball, up and over my basketball. I go pick up my basketball. It's not dented too bad. I start dribbling. It still works. And then I look back. He just keeps driving. I saw the man whiplash with his neck brace, and I thought, man, that's a really good neck brace. Right? Probably not the best neighbor. And then our next door neighbor, listen, I always thought he was a grumpy old man. But then looking back, maybe it was because we had terrible kids living next to him putting in concrete foundation for a shed he was building, right? I didn't care about him building a shed. I was playing kickball with my friends. So the pitch comes, I kick the ball, bam, home run over our chain link fence, bounces, hits the man in the back as he's scraping the concrete and then lands in wet concrete. And then as he's trying to get a stick and hit the ball out, he trips and falls and takes a step in his wet concrete. He says some choice words to us as he throws the ball back. I thought, man, that guy's grumpy. He's not a very good neighbor, right? I think a lot of us have an idea when it comes to this, hey, I just need to be a better neighbor. And what Jesus does to this lawyer is saying, hey, the way that you don't love your neighbors shows that you have no idea in how loving God works. And I think sometimes we think, hey, this parable, just, just be nice. Right? Let's be nice to people that are different than us. That's not what this text is about. And as a matter of fact, when Jesus answers, hey, just love God and love your neighbor, that's all you have to do to inherit eternal life, that's an impossibility. None of us in the room love God with everything we got. None of us in the room love our neighbors like we love ourselves. And I was thinking, just as I was preparing for this sermon, um, it was Wednesday night, I'm taking a class so I can teach next year, and I'm, I've got to fill out, it was classroom strategies and assessments. And I'm thinking, I've never been in a classroom, I don't know too many strategies. Right? And then assessments, I'm like, well, you can give tests and quizzes, and oh, I need 150 words. I just used 10, and that's all I knew about it. So Julianne, who's a longtime teacher, I knew she knew the answers. She was tired. She's sleeping. It's 11.10. It was my fault that I procrastinated, waited until the day of this thing was due. I had 50 minutes to fill out the answer, and I started to panic. I'm thinking, ah, oh, I really need these answers. She needs to sleep. I am preaching on the Good Samaritan. Love your neighbor. I was like, ah, she's getting up. Right? So I wake her up, and she's groggy. She's trying to get it. And so I'm like, hey, I need you to wake up. I go get a drink, try to get her up. Like, hey. And then we got through this, and then she falls back asleep. And then I thought, started thinking, love your neighbor as you love yourself. I didn't love Julianne like I love myself. Right? I love myself like I love myself. And so she's getting up, even though she's tired, and she's helping with this. Why? Because my agenda was more important. And then going to pick up Mike uh, yesterday from his grandma's, I'm going down the highway, and I see two police with this car pulled over. And so if you're ever on the highway, you know you're going to get stuck in traffic. And so I'm coming around. I'm like, it's a Saturday afternoon. There shouldn't be much traffic. And we're slowing down. We're getting over a lane, getting over a lane. And then 20 minutes later, I finally pass, and I see the two police cars in the sky. And he had blown, had blown out tire, but it was in the tunnel, so he couldn't get off. I'm like, man, just get the car off the road. And as soon as I thought, just get the car off the road, I thought, oh, what am I preaching on? Oh, yeah, the Good Samaritan. Oh, who proved to be a neighbor. I had no concern for the man driving the car, just how it affected my time on the road. And so just two instances in preparing the sermon where I cannot do this. I can't love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength all the time. 
and I can't even love my wife like I love myself. How am I going to love my neighbor like I love? And, and so all of that to realize I fall way short. And that's what Jesus is doing to this lawyer. He's saying you don't meet the standard. And now here's the cool part in this, in this parable, in this story. A lot of us will identify, oh, we're the good Samaritan. We're coming by. We'll help people in need. And yet Jesus is sharing a story in such a way so that the lawyer identifies with the man that's beaten, bruised, and left for dead. And Jesus is the one who comes to the rescue. And so my goal that as we read this story, as we look into this account of the, the Good Samaritan, is that we see that in our desperate need, we haven't met when we go to the greatest neighbor, Jesus. This is a gospel story. Jesus is answering the question of how you can be saved. And what he's saying is you can't do it on your own. You need help. Just like the man's not getting up and dusting off his wounds, he needed somebody to come to the rescue, and it was an unlikely rescuer. And that's exactly what we see in Jesus. All right, so with that said, let's do some work. Number one, think about eternity. The first question, he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That is a great question. Thinking about eternity is a great question. And I started to, to think all throughout the Bible, we see this. The lawyer asked, what should I do to inherit eternal life? The disciples asked Jesus when he told them the standards about how, who's not going to be saved. It was a good dude who had a lot of money. And he said, hey, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom than a camel to enter the eye of the needle. The disciples look at him, greatly astonished, and said, well, then who can be saved? Like, if this guy can't be saved, who can? And Jesus answers, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. That's how we know the answer that the lawyer gave was an impossibility. He can't save himself. He thought he could, and Jesus showed he couldn't. You cannot save yourself. And then we see a jailer ask this question. Right? There's an earthquake, everybody's released, but nobody runs out of the prison. Paul saves this man, and then he asks, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, you've got to believe in Jesus, and you will be saved. Again and again, you see this in the Bible. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? How often have you thought about eternity? And I was just thinking, you know, we had a 12 and a half hour road trip. We've had to put a lot of thought in this. We had to rent vans months ago. We had to pay through deposits and pay it off a couple days before. We've got to figure out gas money. We've got to figure out luggage and how we're going to get all the people down. It's a 12 and a half hour trip and we put a lot of thought in it. And my fear is that we spend more time thinking about things. Like this time next week, I won't care about the trip. It'll be finished. How much time do we spend thinking about eternity? I mean, honestly, think about it. 12 hours, 12 and a half hours in a van with these guys, and then with me, it's going to feel like an eternity, but it's not. Think about it. I'm 36 years old, and that's not even a blip on the radar in the backdrop of eternity, and yet we spend so little time thinking about it. Like, the guy asked the right question. It's the wrong motives, but it is the right question. Think deeply about your eternity about where you're going to spend forever. And I love this. He goes to the right person. Right? He, he asks Jesus. Uh, Jesus in Luke 19.10, and we'll, we'll read this account later, uh, he came to seek and to save the lost. That's the purpose Jesus came. And, and then later on, we see that in Acts 4, Peter speaking, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus is your only option. He goes to the right person for salvation. 
It's just with the wrong motives. And, and then I, I want you to see the impossibility. I want you to answer that question. Do you think you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And then do you love your neighbor as yourself? The, the reason why Jesus starts with this is because the lawyer thought he was okay with this. He thought he loved God, and he thought he loved his neighbor, but he had no idea who his neighbor was. And so that leads us to the second point. Let's transition from asking, who is my neighbor, which has limits, right? If I'm going down and Shantez is my neighbor and he's hurting and needs something, I'm going to help him. But if I go down and I see Amante and we'll say he's not my neighbor, man, I, don't, I have no obligation, so, so I can limit. Good, I'm doing all right. Me and Shantez, yeah, I'll get along with him. Forget Amante, he's not my neighbor. I want limits. That's what the lawyer's doing. He's like, well, who's my neighbor? Do I have to, this guy? What about this guy? Well, I saw this. Do I need to help her? And so he's looking to limit this. And then what Jesus does is the question is not who is your neighbor. The question is, are you a neighbor? He transitions from asking who is my neighbor, limits, to being a neighbor, unlimited. Daryl Bach put it this way. Jesus rejects all attempts to shrink the scope of responsibility. The lawyer is looking for the minimum obedience required, but Jesus requires total obedience. So let's look at this desperate situation. And there, I want you to notice eight things real quick. I'm going to rapid fire these bad boys. There was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. This is a dangerous road. There was a place for people to hide. There were places for people to jump out, get somebody, go back in and never be found. This is a dangerous road. Everybody knows what Jesus is talking about. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Number two, he fell among robbers. He was stripped, right? If he had Jordans on, they're gone. If he had Nike socks, they're gone. I don't know cool jeans, but if he had them, they're gone, right? Whatever the guy was wearing, they wanted, they took it. He was beaten. He was left for dead. If someone doesn't help, he will die, right? Jesus is saying, hey, is someone going to rescue him? That's what he's painting in the minds of the hearers. And then you see a glimmer of hope. A priest comes by. He sees him. But then when he sees him, he gets on the other side of the road and goes on by. And so now it's even a more disparate situation because the guy that should have helped didn't. And then a Levite comes and assists him to the priest. Oh, maybe he'll help. No, he sees him, gets on the other side, and goes, and then a Samaritan shows up. And now your enemy shows up, and you're in a vulnerable state. You know he's not stopping. And this is where Jesus flips it on its head. This guy is about to die, and then his enemy shows up. And now I want to see the compassion of the Samaritan. He changed the schedule. It says as he journeyed, he was going somewhere. He had plans, but he stops Look at his compassion. He says that he saw him. Now, when the other two guys saw him, what did they do? Cross the other side. Passed on by. When this guy sees him, look at what he does. He had compassion on him and went to him. Now, that's very important because this is what I've seen in my life experience. Compassion always brings the person who has compassion closer to those who need compassion. It's a hands-on. Uh, Tabidi, Pastor Tabidi once put it this way, compassion is love with work gloves on. I love that. You've got to get your hands dirty in this. And then he lingers. He's risking his own life. He doesn't know where the robbers are. It says he bound up his wounds. He poured oil on him to soothe the wounds. He poured wine on him to disinfect the wounds. He set him on his own animal, brought him to an end took care of him, prayed, uh, paid the innkeeper to take care of him, and then told him anything else that it's going to cost him to get better, I'll pay when I come back. That's unlimited compassion. Nobody loves like this except Jesus. Which brings me to the final point, 
we desperately need the greatest neighbor. You see, the Bible talks about how we are dead in our sin and our trespasses. We're even worse off than the dude that was beaten up. Spiritually, we're done. We're toast. We don't have affections for God unless He stirs those in us. We have no hope apart from Christ. The Bible talks about how our sin has separated us from Him. And here's the point. When you sin, when you mess up, you're missing on either loving God or loving your neighbor. Because all the commandments hang on those two things. And so we don't meet the standard. We fall way short. And if somebody doesn't do something, we were done. And then notice this. Jesus is on a journey too. When he shares this story, we just read in Luke 9.51 that Jesus has set his face to go towards Jerusalem. But what happens in Jerusalem? The greatest act of compassion happens in Jerusalem. He goes to the cross. That's exactly what we need. Somebody to stand in our place to pay for our sin and it's costly compassion. Costly compassion. Think about this. Uh, what's it going to cost? So for this guy, it was two days wages and then whatever else, put it on my tab. Right? He had to put him on his own mule, so he had to walk. It was uncomfortable. He had to change his schedule. Like, there's a lot of compassion for the Samaritan. But then when you get to Jesus, he gave up heaven to become a man to walk on this earth. Like, that's compassion. I'm not giving that up to come here and live. Jesus does. And then we see that he lives for 33 years only to be spat on, hit, mocked, thorns shoved on his head, hands nailed to a cross, feet nailed to a cross, spear ran through his side. Why? Because that's what we needed. Someone to die in our place. He was buried. Three days later, God raises him from the dead so that he can rescue you and I. That is compassion. And so I want you to see here, when you hear the Good Samaritan, don't think, oh yeah, I need to be nice to people. Think about how desperately we need the greatest neighbor. And his name's Jesus. And it's only as you go to Christ will you be able to love and have compassion on others. You guys have seen the glow necklaces, right? If you just take it out of the box, put it around your neck, it's not going to glow. You have to break them. And however you break them, that makes it glow. Some people read this and they're like, oh, we got to do this, and we got to do this, we got to be better. But they miss out on the power source. The only way we'll be compassionate, the way God has called us to be compassionate, is when we receive the compassion Jesus had for us. Or, to put it from the text, Ephesians 2, 1 and 10, talks about how we were dead in our trespasses. Ephesians 2, 10 talks about how we were created in Christ for good works. Or as Titus 2.14 puts it, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. I can't wait to find somebody who needs compassion. I'm going to go after him. Why? Because Jesus went after me. Do you see how the gospel drives us to be people of compassion? And then finally, Ezekiel 36.26-27. And this is the lawyer's problem. He doesn't have a new heart. He can't have a new behavior. He desperately needs to be transformed by the love of Christ. And this is what we see. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The only way we can love God and love our neighbor 
is through God transforming our heart. And he does that through the gospel. He does it through Christ on the cross. Forgiving your sin, filling you with his spirit so that you can walk with Christ. And it was costly. When you see the compassion of Christ, it's costly. And I'll close with this statement. Covington is in desperate need of neighbors. And the awesome opportunity we have as Redemption Church is to be people who know the greatest neighbor so we can be a reflection and prove to be a neighbor to those thousands of people desperate for a neighbor in Covington. Love Jesus. Love others like you love yourself. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this story. Father, I pray that you convict us when we fall short, as we all do. I pray that you convict us of our need for Christ. I pray that you move throughout this service. I pray that you rescue any who call on you. Father, I pray that you move. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.